Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that in all things you work together for the good of us who love you and you've called us according to your purpose. I thank you for that promise of scripture. God, I ask and pray today that you would speak to our hearts, that you would minister to our spirits. Lord, as always, when we look into your word, I pray that it would transform us and renew us. Lord, I thank you that all of our hope is ultimately found in you and that you are a good God who leads and guides and directs us, who heals us, who restores us. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you again for joining us here at New Life this weekend uh, for New Life Online. Thank you for taking part of your weekend, investing it with us. We're excited to continue in our series, New Beginnings Redux. Now, I know what many of you are thinking, could you remind me what Redux means again? Yeah, Pastor Chris defined it for us last week, and Redux simply means brought back or resurgent. Brought back or resurgent. Now, we chose this somewhat obscure term because we believe it really helps to, um, helps to exemplify what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection from the grave. We believe that that resurgence being brought back helps us to understand who Jesus is and, and what it means for our lives. As Pastor Chris said last week, Redux works to describe what God can and will do in our lives when we turn toward Him, when we feel isolation, despair, and doubt. It's an amazing promise that God will bring us back from these things. There's a redux that happens, and God is waiting for us to join Him. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to share a message, and in part of that message, I shared that I've rarely ever felt alone, and part of that is because of my understanding that Jesus is with me and has been every step of the way and, and continues to be with me as I walk through this life. I shared the promise out of Psalm 23 that the Lord is our good shepherd. Now, I'm actually quite thankful for that in my life, and the reason I'm thankful for that is because of the fact that since Jesus has gone with me, and I've been aware of that, he's, he's saved me from a tremendous amount of, of pain and suffering in my life. Today, I'm talking, talking about redux, right? A new beginning from isolation and despair. And I have to be honest, there's very few times in my life where I felt truly isolated to the point of despair. And that's because of the fact that I came to know Jesus at an early age. That doesn't mean that I've never felt that way, but honestly, I'm thankful that Jesus has been there for me every step of the way. I did take some time before writing this message to think about when in my life I have felt isolated or when despair was part of, of my daily, you know, how I felt that day, and a memory came to mind really quickly, and it was when I was in second grade. In second grade, I transferred to a new school, Shakora Elementary School, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go to a new school, but for me, it was terrible. I hated it. It was a terrible experience for me because I loved my old school. I loved my friends. I had two really good friends, Adam and Justin. Crazy, crazy fun fact, I still can remember Adam and Justin's phone numbers even to this day. 
Kindergarten, first grade, we had the old rotary phone with the cord, and I'd call up my friends, and we would talk, and I'd go to their house, or they'd come over to my house. Great friends. Can't remember my wife's cell phone number to this day, but I can remember guys that I called in kindergarten. I guess it's a sign of the times. But anyway, I, I had great friends, and I was part of a group, and I enjoyed my school, but, but I moved, and I transferred. And I can remember my first day in, in the new school, and the principal was kind of leading me around and showing, you know, here's the bathroom, here's your, here's your classroom, here's some things that you need to know. And I just remember feeling so alone. I'll be honest, the first few weeks of that transition were really rough. My mom tells me I came home crying almost every day. And I don't remember all of that, but what I do remember is that I had great parents who helped me navigate that season of my life and who helped me understand that, yeah, this was a hard time and things weren't going to go back to the way they were. They couldn't. But that Jesus was there with me. They helped me understand that. And I can say now, looking back, that I learned a couple of things, even at that young age, at that young age. First, I learned that isolation and despair are terrible. It's not good to be alone. And when we're isolated, we do feel despair. And even at a young age, I, I had a taste of what that felt like, just a taste, but it was there. I also came to understand what it meant for Jesus to be with me, even when I felt isolated. I learned what it meant for him to be there with me, even when I felt that way. And I also came away with an understanding of how helpful it can be when someone gives a kind or caring word. When that happened, even at that young age, man, it meant the world to me. And it most often came through my parents, primarily through my mom, as she encouraged me and equipped me to walk through this season of my life. I vowed, even at that young age, that I would never, as long as I could, um, seek to be isolated again, right? Nor did I ever want anyone to feel isolated. And so I think part of the reason that I am the way that I am today is because of this experience and the understanding that we get to help folks come out of isolation and despair as they come to know Jesus. It's something I carry with me even to this day. Now, I don't think it's a huge secret that we as humans, we, we like to be part of a group. Actually, life is better when we live it together. When we're surrounded by good, healthy friends, family, things like that, life, life is generally better. Pastor Chris explained a couple of weeks ago, actually several weeks ago, in the New Beginnings Do-Over series about accountability and how important accountability is in our lives and how when we enter into accountability, we sharpen one another, we train one another, we help each other grow, right? A good friend helps to encourage us. They see the best in us. We see the best in them. There's also times when we let each other down, right? Because we're humans. That's okay. We understand it's in those moments that we get to extend grace and love. But as Pastor Chris mentioned, these relationships take some time and some effort. And at some points, they certainly seem impossible. Because again, we're humans, right? And when we let each other down, there's, it seems like this isn't possible. And the only reason that they are possible to the fullest extent is because of the relationship we have first with Jesus. Jesus is our primary relationship. I would say it this way. It's only through this primary relationship with Jesus and through the subsequent empowering of the Holy Spirit that any of the rest is possible. That's our foundation, guys. We have to remember that Jesus is the foundation of everything. And it's that relationship with him that makes everything else po possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot miss that. 
And I think that's so important because we have just come through a season where, goodness gracious, isolation and despair, they were everywhere. They were everywhere. Now, I, I'm going to say something, and, and I think that this is true. I think that a lot of the isolation and despair that, that, we, that we felt or are currently feeling is a result of COVID. But I think if we're honest, I think if we're honest, what COVID showed us, what this crisis showed us, are things that were already in place before the crisis ever hit. Here's what I mean. I think there were already some cracks there, and the crisis just kind of made those cracks bigger. And I think that's because for me and for many of us, I think if we're honest, we probably put our faith in some things that, that were wrong. We, we based our, our identities and who we are as folks and where we gain our value in things that ultimately faded away. And when we, when we went into this crisis, there came a season where those things were stripped away and we felt very isolated or alone. It would manifest in a number of ways. I shared a couple of weeks ago that I couldn't have been the only one to eat half a dozen cookies. But for others, and there were even times myself where I felt really lonely in the midst of some of this. And I know that for me, my experience wasn't as bad as it has been for others. It only takes a quick Google search to see that things aren't really that great right now. In December of 2020, the US, US Census Bureau uh, did a survey. And in that survey, they asked basically about the mental health of folks in the United States. Of the people surveyed, 42% said they were struggling with some form of depression or anxiety, despair. And most of it was a result of isolation because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And part of that, friends, I believe, is because we put our faith in things that faded away. And part of it was because it was a really hard and continues to be a hard time. But unfortunately, we have to, at times, go through hard times. And things aren't always going to get better immediately. And things aren't always going to go back to the way that they were. Thankfully, we have Jesus. I know it sounds simplistic, but it's true. Jesus is the foundation because through his life and death and resurrection, which changed everything, we have hope. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Hope for renewal and restoration. We have hope with him that will not falter. Humans will fail. Things in which we put our trust other than Jesus will fail. Everything has the potential to fail, but Jesus doesn't. He restores our relationship with God, and through that we enter into true relationship with him and with one another. This is our redux. I should say he is our redux from isolation and despair. And that's our take-home point for today. It's the one point I'm going to seek to make from the Bible that we would live out, and it's this. Jesus renews and restores us into right relationship with God and with others. Jesus renews and restores us into right relationship with God first. That's the first part, and then with others. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, I'd invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Also, you'll see a little notes tab. You can click on that. All of my notes for today, as well as all the scripture passages, will be there for you to follow along. But we're going to look at an incredible passage out of Mark 5, starting in verses 25 and going to verse 34. 
It says this, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she'd spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus as she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, Who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. It's an incredible passage. And before we look at the passage in particular, I want to kind of set the context because it's important. In this passage, right before we get to the healing of this woman, Jesus had made a little trip. He'd gone to a region called the Gerizines where he had healed a man possessed by a demon. And he came back, but he had to come back on a boat. So he came back on a boat, and as soon as, from the scripture, it seems like as soon as the boat hit the shore, there's a crowd. People just came to Jesus, partly because of things like this, right? And so there's a crowd that was there. And it's a big crowd, it's a large crowd, and Jesus was approached by a man named Jairus, who was a leader in the Jewish community, leader of the synagogue, and asked, Jairus asked Jesus if he could go heal his daughter. Jesus agreed, and so he's on his way when this woman that we read about today encounters Jesus. Now, we know a little bit about this woman. We don't know a ton, but we know a little bit. The first is we know about her medical condition. She was subject to bleeding. We don't know exactly what that means. In the Greek, it says hemorrhaging, which sounds terrifying to me. But many scholars agree that she had been subject to an ongoing period for 12 years. 12 years, which is an incredible amount of time. This is an important distinction because according to the Jewish law at the time, if a woman was on her period, she was to be considered unclean until the bleeding had stopped for a minimum of seven days. That's important because you wanted to be clean. And if you were in a constant state of of bleeding, you were unclean. This is all spelled out in the book of Leviticus. It's in the first part of the Bible in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And Leviticus really lays out all of the Jewish laws or most of them. And this passage in particular is pretty obscure. I don't know how many of us have ever actually read it. I know how I've read it exactly one time. Every year I do a read through the Bible plan, and it's usually late January, early February, where I start into Leviticus which is a hard book, I'll be honest with you. Thankfully, I I, I get to do a little bit of gospel reading with it. But every year, I, I walk through Leviticus. And one year, one year, I read through discharges and defiling skin diseases, and I vowed, I'm not ever gonna read that again. So when I get to it, in my Bible plan, I skip it. I'm being honest with you, I just skip it. Because it's a little crazy, and it's a little obscure. And I always kind of reasoned that if this was important, 
If I encountered it somewhere else in the Bible, there'd be like a footnote, right? You know, it's in Mark 5, a footnote. And it leads us to Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 through 30. Here's what it says. If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during this time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. When the woman's bleeding stops, she must count off seven days. Then she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must present two turtle doves or two young pigeons and present them to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify her before the Lord for the ceremonial impurity caused by her bleeding. Now, after reading this passage, we can see the condition and the state of this poor woman. And she faced a number of challenges. Physically, I can't imagine what it would have been like. I mean, at the very least, most folks agree that she would have been weakened because of a perpetual loss of blood, perhaps constantly anemic, just always exhausted, always fatigued. And then there's the practical issue of trying to contain the blood, again, beyond imagination. But I think even all of that pales in comparison to the emotional and societal implications that she would have faced. Because of the law we just read, she was considered unclean, and she would be completely alone. Think about that. She couldn't touch anyone, and no one could touch her. Not only that, if she touched something, for example, if she touched this table, and I came along later, and I touched the table, I would be unclean. And so we don't know from the story if this woman was married or had been married, if she'd had kids. We don't know any of that. But what we can surmise is even if she had, those were probably, all those relationships were probably gone because she would be continually unclean. She more than likely lived by herself on the outskirts of town at best, perhaps was homeless. We don't know. But she would be completely alone because of her condition. And let's just ponder for a moment what it would be like to be considered unclean. That's, that would be our identity. We would be an unclean one. Think about that, to feel unclean, to be told we're unclean. And we would have to announce to folks, if they were getting too close, I'm unclean. And they would, they would stay away so they would not be unclean should they touch us or anything else that we had touched. I think that this explains why this poor woman had done everything in her power to seek a cure. Right? The Bible tells us that she spent all she had on doctors. And unfortunately, it was of no help. It says, in fact, with each treatment, her condition only worsened year after year, after year. Oh, it only got worse. I can't imagine her mindset when she heard about Jesus, but I think she was probably pretty desperate. I know I would be desperate, wouldn't you? 12 years, unclean, alone, I'd be desperate. 
And I'm not even sure of her motives. Some scholars point to the fact that she might have been superstitious because she thought, well, as long as I touch his robe, I'll be clean. I don't know that I buy that. Others actually say, well, she was at rock bottom. What's the worst that could happen? Well, we'll talk about that here. There actually are some worse things that could happen. I think that the most biblical interpretation is she had faith. She had faith. Jesus actually says as much that she had faith. And I think if we're honest, for many of us, it's when we hit rock bottom that we go, maybe we should turn to God for this. It's when faith has the opportunity to move. There are no other answers. It's either Jesus or nothing. And so we go, well, Lord, would you? Could you? And in faith, she approached. Now, we can't be certain, but from the text, it appeared that she disregarded the Jewish law and just went into a crowd. She knew that she would probably make others unclean, but she was desperate, I think, and she went into a crowd. In fact, we know she went in with the goal to, at the very least, touch Jesus, right? That was her entire goal. And think about this, when she touched him, doing so, according to the law, would have immediately made Jesus unclean. And what would his response be to that? Think about that. He had every right at that moment to call her on the carpet. He had every right to degrade her, to make a spectacle of her, to embarrass her, to disgrace her. That had to be running through her mind. And despite all of that, she reached out what I imagine to be a trembling hand, and she touched his robe and was immediately healed. We know because the Bible tells us that power flowed from Jesus. She felt it, and he felt it. Now, this is incredible because this language isn't used anywhere else in the Gospels in regard to Jesus. I don't even know fully what it means. Most folks don't. The image that kind of comes to mind is like, is Jesus a battery? How did this work? I don't know if that's helpful. That's just kind of how I think about it. Maybe part of it for me is, did he pray as often as he did? Did he commune with the Father to get charged up? I don't know, if, I don't know that that's biblical. I don't know it's theological. It's just me thinking it through. But Jesus felt the power leave. I don't know what that's like. I do know sometimes when I'm praying for folks very intensely, when I'm praying for them to be healed, when I'm praying for them to be set free from bondage or oppression, I know that sometimes, and I am not Jesus, that I walk away from that exhausted. I don't know if that's what he felt, but he felt something. We know that he felt it because he says, who touched me? Who touched my robe? And the disciples are like, are you kidding me right now? Look at all these people. Were there dozens, hundreds, thousands? We don't know. But they're like, what do you mean who touched you? And he's like, no, someone touched my robe. Who touched me? And there's part of me that's like, did he really not know? Did he not know who touched him? Or was he giving this woman an opportunity? And the Bible says she was frightened and trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. Think about this for a second, friends. She's frightened and trembling that she got healed. Why wouldn't she be rejoicing? Why wouldn't she be screaming with joy? No, she's frightened and trembling. And it says she came and fell on her knees and told him everything. How much did she tell him? Well, we know what she told him. She told him enough that we know that she was subject to bleeding in this way 
for 12 years. And why was she trembling? Well, it's the best and worst case scenario. Best case, she's healed. Worst case, what's he going to do? She just made him, according to the law, unclean. But Jesus, ah, Jesus isn't unclean. He's clean. And he cleanses us, doesn't he? And because of her act of faith, her faith in Jesus, how did he respond? Did he call her on the carpet? Did he embarrass her? Did he call her by the name that she had been known for so long? Did he say, you unclean one? No. He responded with a word, daughter. Daughter. Oh, it brings tears to my eyes. Think about this. This woman who had no relationships, none, no familial relationships, perhaps no friend relationships, for a dozen years. Oh, what he could have done to her in that moment, but instead, he extends a word, daughter. The relief that must have flooded over her. He could have stopped there, but Jesus, he doesn't. He doesn't. This is his heart, right? This is his heart to restore and renew us, to drag us from isolation and despair into his family so that we're his sons and his daughters. He could have stopped there, but he doesn't. He goes on to say, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Think about this. Your suffering is over. Your suffering is over. Yeah, he healed her body, but he healed everything else as well. Her suffering Physically, emotionally, gone. He brought her back into society. He gave her a life, purpose. Everything would have hinged on this moment for this woman. He restored her completely in an instant. Body, soul, and spirit. She approached unclean and left completely and totally restored. This is the heart of Jesus. He first restored his relationship with her. He made a way and freed her from isolation. He cleansed her from despair. And then he ultimately brought her back into his family and into his love. If that's not redux, I don't know what is. I don't, I don't know what is. Because we have a God who is always seeking to drag us back from isolation and despair, to heal us, to restore us, to renew us. In his arms is where we find the healing that we seek, the restoration that we need. The question, friends, is will we come? Will we come? Or will we be like the woman in the story who sought doctors, who sought the cure, in every place except Jesus. And her condition and our condition only worsens. Yeah, there's creams of the world, there's salves, there's balms, there's whatever you want to call it. We apply them, we put them on, try this, eat that, do this, perform this way, do this thing, act this way. And at the end, are we better? Are we cured? Are we healed? Or do we only feel more isolated? Are we in further despair? I think we find our condition is worse because everything will fail. 
even though all we want is for the bleeding to stop. Then there's how we feel and what we've been named. What have you been named? I know what I've been named. Unclean, that comes to mind. Worst things. Things that society has called me. Things that ill-meaning folks have said. There's what the devil whispers in my ear from time to time, that I'm unworthy, that I'm not good enough, that I don't bring anything to the table. Those are all true. I am unworthy, and I don't bring a lot to the table. But that's not the end of the story. The alternative is to turn to the one who calls us by our true name, who heals and restores us in ways no one else can, and counts us as his sons and his daughters. It's the only way. It's the only way. It's simplistic sounding because it's simple. But it is the only way. Our culture cont- continues to head towards isolation and despair. We continue to fracture. We continue to be broken. Only Jesus can unify, restore, reunite, and heal. He is the one who leaves us well and full. He first restores our relationship with Him, and that's something we cannot do. And through that, that primary relationship, we get to extend grace and love, forgiveness. Healing pours forth even from us. Do you think this woman had a testimony? Do you think that she talked about what it was like to be healed? Do you think that maybe in her life, she had an awareness for those who were lonely greater than anyone else? I'd imagine so. And that's what is afforded to us. That as Jesus renews us, restores us, and frees us from suffering, the redux from isolation and despair that is only found through Jesus brings healing that we get to pour forth to this world. No fractures. No false names, just true names to the one who can restore us fully. If that's something that you will do, and I know many will, then will you join with me in living out our next step for today, which is I will ask Jesus to renew my spirit, soul, and body this week. Our culture points to all kinds of things, friends, none of which will heal. Our enemy points us to other things as well, but the cure is only found in Jesus. We cannot seek it any other way. May we run and cling to him this week, for when we do, he will heal us and renew us, our entire being. It may not be in an instant, but he is with us every step of the way as he restores and renews us into his image. Amen? Amen. If Jesus, is free, if Jesus is to free us from isolation and despair, then we have to have that primary relationship with him. The primary relationship is always Jesus first. We cannot have healing without Jesus in our lives. He is our healer, our redeemer. He is the redux of our lives. Here at New Life, we say that coming to know Jesus is simple, not easy, It's simple because Jesus made the way. It's not easy because it's the first step of many steps. It's the first step of declaring that he is our Savior and Lord. 
And then honestly, it takes a lifetime for us to understand fully and be obedient to him as Savior and Lord. Here at New Life, we say it's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. We admit that we're sinners, that we need a Savior. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is Savior and Lord of our lives. Not just a good person, not just a good teacher, but that he is the Savior and Lord of our lives. And finally, we confess. We confess our sins to God. and We ultimately confess that we need him, that we cannot do this on our, on our own. Simple, but not easy. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you've yet to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, I'd invite you to take that first step with us today. And if you do that, I would invite you to let us know that you committed your life to Jesus. Someone will follow up with you live and uh, pray with you, get some information, because this is an important first step. If you've already committed your life to Jesus, then as I pray, I would ask that you would invite the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in your life as we all seek to be brought back from our areas of isolation and despair in our lives, which is only possible through Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you lead us back from isolation and despair, that you are our redux. God, I ask and pray at this time that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would minister to our spirits. Lord, for any who do not yet know you, Lord, I pray that right now they would confess their need for you, that they would admit, believe, confess. And Lord, that right now they would take that first step, which is so important. Lord, for those of us who do know you, I ask and pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, lead, guide, and direct us. Bring us back. Speak truth to us. As we seek you this week, renew us, restore us. Father, I pray that over everyone who's watching today, that they would sense your presence, that you would renew, renew and restore us every moment of every day. I thank you. I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that commitment today, please let us know. For everyone, I pray that you have a blessed week. Go forth in peace. Amen.